0: Have you ever wondered what it takes to build a successful business in the Australian property industry? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Business and Property Development, a monthly podcast in which industry leaders share their insights and experience with host Harry Karadimas. Hello and welcome to Business and Property Development. There are a couple of reasons why I'm really excited to be bringing this month's episode to you. Firstly, I get to share with you a great conversation I had with my friend and industry colleague, Martin Lewenberger. Marty is a highly experienced development manager turned performance coach. No guesses as to why I thought he'd be perfect for this podcast. These episodes have always been about education through the stories and experiences of people who have excelled in their respective disciplines. From starting an apprenticeship in viticulture to working in development and construction for 15 years, Marty made a bold move at the end of 2020 to pursue a calling he realised he had both immense passion and talent for. Through performance coaching, Marty now focuses on helping people unlock their potential on a range of personal and professional endeavours. So, how does he do this? What potential can you unlock? And what's involved in the process of working with a performance coach? This is one of the reasons why I wanted to record an episode with Marty in the first place. This leads me to the second reason why I'm thrilled to be sharing this episode with you. As part of his collaboration with me, Marty has taken his generosity up a few notches and has offered to coach me as part of putting into practice the aspects of performance coaching we discuss in this and future episodes. The idea here is we get to share with you some of my results so that you in turn can gain some insights into the effects that performance coaching can have on your potential. So, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Martin Leuenberger. Howdy. welcome to the podcast. It's so great to finally have you with me today.
1: Thanks, Harry. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Before we start, congratulations on this great podcast.
0: Uh, thanks so, very much. Good Appreciate following
1: and, and good content. I've enjoyed it.
0: Well, thanks to you, I think, particularly <laughs> for season two. So it's actually fantastic to have you behind the mic now. Now, before we get into the actual recording, I'd like to give some context as to what we'll be speaking about today and, mm-hmm. and why we're here. So firstly, your career path. To date, it meshes in really nicely with the primary themes of this podcast. From a development point of view, you've had an extensive career in in construction and development, working with some great companies on some amazing projects. From a business perspective, you've now left the day-to-day involvement in the industry and are now focusing on building a brand and a business centered around high performance coaching. The second reason why I am thrilled to be recording with you today is as part of this episode, you've extended to me uh, an incredibly generous gesture of uh, real life coaching and putting into practice some of the aspects that we'll be speaking about in the podcast today so this episode will in effect be uh, a bit of a mini series on performance coaching in practice which is an, an incredible opportunity and one which I, I cannot thank you enough for
1: no absolutely i think it's a, a great opportunity and i'm very grateful that you're willing to be transparent with your listeners that you're you're open to the idea and i think most of my coaching clients well all of my coaching clients it's all around trust and that's how we get the best out of coaching but all the information the conversations and the data is all completely locked away and confidential. So the fact that you're willing to open that up a little bit to your listeners is is absolutely amazing.
0: Well I think it's important to know what happens in coaching. I think to better understand why you'd consider heading down that road and, and perhaps bettering yourself in that regard. Yeah so absolutely. Before we get started I'd like to ask you a couple of brief questions just to paint a picture of you for our audience. Yeah, So sure. if you could tell me um, where were you born and where did you grow up?
1: I was born in Adelaide, grew up there on a lot of land just out near McLaren Vale actually. So I grew up with 10 acres of land. Absolutely loved uh, my childhood and younger years there as well. With my parents both being from Switzerland, I actually spent most of my school holidays and Christmas period in Switzerland. So I don't think it was until about the age of 20 that I had my first Christmas in Australia with a summer with an Aussie barbecue uh, in thongs. Yeah, than right. It. Uh, on a pair of skates.
0: And where did you go to school? In South Australia or well? yeah,
1: yeah, I went to school at
0: Emmanuel, Emmanuel Primary
1: School and then Emmanuel College. Mm-hmm.
0: What about post-schooling? Did you have any inkling of what you wanted to study or get Absolutely into?
1: Absolutely not. I had no idea what I wanted to do. So after school, pretty much straight after school is I left for Europe and I did an apprenticeship in winemaking in viticulture. So I spent some time in Switzerland working at two vineyards over there, one near Zurich and then one in Geneva. But the vineyards, while they produce great wines, they weren't great conversationalists. It was quite a lonely job, I guess, a lot of solo time. And when I came back, I knew I wanted to do something with people or work with people. So then I did my bachelor's in, with majoring in finance and accounting.
0: And how did you segue into property and construction? I used to play a
1: lot of tennis when I was younger. My tennis coach, Fabrizio Pirelli, who is one of my mentors, was my tennis coach. He was a hard tennis coach, actually. If I was late, it was laps of the tennis courts. But he was living in Sydney and working, basically managing a project management firm and gave me the opportunity to do some work experience over here. Moved over to Sydney for three months to do work experience while I was at uni. And then that turned into employment. Essentially, that's how I found myself in Sydney and, and uh, in the property game.
0: Fabrizio Pirelli. That's as right. in- toga correct, toga. correct. <laughs> correct. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't realize you guys went back uh, that far that's, yeah, yeah that's incredible yeah, yeah.
1: i think i would known him since i was about 10. very good tennis coach very good tennis player and a uh, very good human in general let's talk about your
0: early career path and you got an, you got an apprenticeship how did that progress
1: doing t- doing the apprenticeship in winemaking was really amazing loved it gave me a chance to be in europe travel through europe when i was younger But again, having that experience was like, this isn't for me. Then coming over to Sydney and doing work experience in property kind of just fell into it. And so getting the opportunity to get employment as an assistant project manager, I was working as a tenancy coordinator. I enjoyed it, but I just felt like I didn't have the right experience studying finance and accounting, I didn't really have that construction background. So I left there and went to work at Hanson yunkin So I went, went and worked on a couple of sites as a contracts administrator. Again, very quickly it was like, this isn't for me. I enjoyed it. It was good to be on site and get that experience, but I, I really didn't want to be pigeonholed into a construction company or working as a contract administrator. It just wasn't what got me out of bed. And then from there, essentially, I went and worked at Mervac. At that point, I really didn't question anything. I just was like, okay, I work in property. That's what I do. And so I went and worked at Mervac as an assistant development manager. There was, I was there for six years. Absolutely loved it. Incredible people, incredible organization. I also had the chance to do my Master's in Sustainable Development while I was there up at bon Juni. So I got a scholarship there uh, that was sponsored by Mervac. I, while I was there, I was working on Green Square, origination uh, and also 71 Macquarie Street, which was a joint venture with AMP Capital. And that's where I got to meet the AMP team. That was then sold off, which is now known as Key Apartments, which was also delivered by Richard Crooks. Basically, at Mervac, while I had a, a good time, I wasn't getting the delivery experience. And so I had this huge gap in my the, sort of the development cycle. And then I got tapped on the shoulder by an individual who was the PM on York and George Street, delivering that on behalf of Five Capital. And uh, essentially asked me to go across and deliver that with him. The money was too tempting and I started to chase the money, started to chase and, you know, also tick the box of getting delivery experience as well. Within a couple of months, I knew that I had made a very, very poor decision. It was a very confusing environment. And I guess working with just a single operator, you spend a lot of time with one person. I learned some extremely valuable lessons then. First of all, don't chase the money. Second of all, really do your homework about who you're working with. It's really important that you work together, your values are aligned, and that was just an extremely confusing and and difficult work environment. Unfortunately, my wife's mother had a stroke just before we get to we were about to get married, and so I ended up having to stay in that job for a lot longer than I wanted, um, which was really really tricky. My wife moved down to Wollongong to be by her mum's side for six months, who was in a coma. That was. Ex- extremely difficult. We didn't see each other much. She was dealing with grief. So we cancelled our wedding. I stayed in a job that was extremely difficult. My mental health was was struggling big time. I actually got to the point that I, uh, in peak summer, I was living in Surrey Hills at the time, could not get out of bed. So I got out of bed at the last minute, just put on a shirt and put a jumper over the top because I just couldn't even find the motivation to iron a shirt to go to work. But the silver lining in that, As we were dealing with my my wife's mum being in a coma, we ended up going to see a couples counsellor. I actually took the initiative to seek out a couples counsellor because I could just tell we had a lot of big decisions to make around cancelling our wedding, living apart for six months, all those sorts of things. My wife going through grief. I just felt like we weren't in our best place as a couple. So I ended up getting a couples counsellor, which was absolutely amazing. We've been married now seven years, so that was about eight years ago now. We saw that couples counsellor every fortnight and she really helped us through that, helped us build skills, communication skills, helped us really listen to each other. We actually now every three months still go and see that couples counsellor just for a check-in. And that was probably my first exposure to counselling, but also my... Probably it sowed a bit of a seed for me as to how much value that brought to my life and my relationship with my wife, and the, the tools that it gave us to navigate an extremely difficult season. But also, you know, now that we still check in with her, it's just so valuable to make sure there's nothing that's festering in the background that we're not aware of, or there's no little niggles that we have that could trip us up in the
0: future. It sounds like you've recognized that your going through these difficult periods but that you're also going to need to be making decisions which are are going to be hard to to have to handle but you've acknowledged those before you've gotten to the point where the person that you're you're committed to and that you love you know when you have those problems that become almost irreconcilable.
1: I think we all have limitations and we all all have skills but We also are missing skills. And it's not until you have an experience that you get the opportunity to reflect or learn a skill or realize that there's a deficit in something. Having external help with someone who had actually studied relationships and had studied counseling and was able to help us, you know, remove blind spots or assist us was invaluable.
0: Do you think that was more on reflection about what was going to be happening that you sort of began to understand, Oh, it's actually not the experience It's more the reflection and then the understanding that that's what I need to. I've always
1: been someone who likes to learn. I've always been someone that sees value in like, for example, I had a tennis coach. Why did I have a tennis coach? Because or why do I, uh, I go and see someone for my golf swing, which is not improving all that well, but it's because they know what to look for. They know what to identify that we can't they can look for patterns they can look for for things that are going to hinder you to actually living uh, your best life you know similar to coaching counseling all these things golf lessons tennis lessons they're all an investment they save you time doing things alone and and trying to change or change a pattern on your own is is a really difficult journey it's a challenge yeah yeah having someone who has the experience to actually help us is key. Let's
0: get back onto your journey through construction. Uh, you, you've gone through a very difficult period in a, in a job that, obviously not right for you. How did you move past that into sort of your next, yeah, your next well, phase? Yeah,
1: well, there was an incident which I don't need to go into, but I basically that day chose to quit. I think that was a really momentous moment in my life, a sort of a stake in the ground where I was just not willing to be treated that way and I was gonna stick up for myself and I made a decision. So I quit my job, literally the very next day, I had a phone call randomly by someone from Uniting. I basically told them upfront, hey, look, I don't understand the aged care model, I've never been in it, but if you wanna have a coffee, let's let's go and have a chat. And so we had a coffee and the following day, I had an offer and went and worked with Uniting it was a great organization with a lot of purpose, but I feel so lucky because I got to work under a gentleman called Adrian Keanu who was just probably one of the best managers I've worked under. He was encouraging. He was, you know, he, he lifted the lid. He wanted to see and realize your potential. He wanted to give you opportunities. He would listen. I guess it was a, the bookends of what I just had. So uh, anything could be, could be better, but he was certainly someone that just brought back passion for me. Ten months into that role, got a tap on the shoulder from AMP Capital to go and deliver Loftus Lane, which we are sitting in now, one of the uh, the apartments. Again, I I made it very clear to AMP. I was like, hey, I've never delivered anything. And they were like, no problem. We want you to deliver this. We want you to be involved. And when I approached Adrian, my manager at Uniting, he basically said, you have to take this. This is an amazing opportunity. And that just kind of shows the caliber of leader that he was, that he actually wanted the best for you, which is, I feel like is quite rare. And so, uh, yeah, a couple of weeks later, I turned up at 50 Bridge Street and was preparing the stage two DA for for Loftus Lane.
0: Just for a bit of context, we are recording this episode in one of the apartments in Building B, Lane Apartments are now complete. They have been for a couple of years now. Uh,
1: yeah. May last year. May last year. Yeah, they settled. So yeah, this is a Sylvester Fuller building, a two-better on the um, the park side, which is absolutely amazing.
0: Actually, I wouldn't mind getting into um, this project a, a bit later on. Given your your experience in development and construction, and also working for developer builders, what aspects of the development process? Did you find that you were most passionate about? I feel like
1: I can really talk about that now that I've been through the whole development cycle. I'd have to say that I enjoyed or maybe I enjoyed it the most, but my strengths really played out in the the early stages of development you know where there was a value add where we were problem solving where we were working as a team with the architects with council with the consultants to resolve issues and and then taking that through to a point where we we're gearing up for marketing and sales and then the, the hype of sales i mean here we sold out in two hours uh, with cbre they did an, uh, an amazing job it's just the hype around the project we i think we're still one of the the quickest development to sell out under two hours and and we smash the lights out with with the sales rate and set a new record at that point so that was absolutely amazing and then again preparing you finalize the sales contracts and then we we sort of go on the journey of continuing to prepare for construction and delivering the project so that front end for me was probably the most exciting. That's where you, I feel like get to explore ideas. There's creativity, there's collaboration, there's, there's relationships that are built based on working together in comparison to then when we hit delivery we had a a really obviously had a construction contract which we had to adhere to there was formalities everything was locked in documentation was at 70 percent at that point we novated all our consultants and architects across to richard crooks and so everything was more at an arm's length and I, i really didn't enjoy that as much
0: so you found the breadth of opportunity that exists at the very beginning of a project Fine tune what's possible. Yeah, Um, absolutely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this project had, we were working with five architects in total, then a landscape architect. Then we had an amazing Indigenous artist that we got to work with. There was just so, so much going on in this little block. I just absolutely loved it.
0: Yeah, I think you, you put a really fine point on that when there was a couple of posts that you'd put on social media at the end. And the the list of people that are involved in this kind of a project is just phenomenal. The amount of human capital that goes into these kinds of projects.
1: The amount of energy that gets mm. poured into this. And while we celebrate it, we, we usually celebrate the final product rather than actually celebrating the individuals. You know, the, the amount of con- conversations we had about floor levels and acoustics, that just doesn't ever get spoken about, but the time and money and effort that's poured into that needs to be recognized. I will be forever grateful for the relationships that i built through this project and actually being in the trenches with so many great people and so many great organizations, but there's a lot of great people in the property industry. And I think that this project for me really highlighted that.
0: Would you say this was one of your, the, the most memorable projects of your career?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely the most memorable. There's so many aspects, like building the relationships with the purchasers. I'm fortunate enough to be in an apartment now based on a relationship I have with the purchasers and going on that journey and actually working with them to create a space where they're excited to move into. That was a highlight for me. Another highlight was uh, working with Jonathan Jones and the public art team. His ideas and and the way he incorporated public art into the fabric of this development was amazing.
0: Beautiful, it's very subtle Uh, as well. It's subtle
1: and it tells such an important story. And that for me was another journey that I went on learning about the history and the story of this area from an indigenous perspective. And it's not a pretty story at all. And it's, it's really sad, but it's a, an important story that needs to be told. So I feel very, privilege to have been able to deliver this project and work with such great individuals
0: so if you ever take a walk through Loftus Lane you, you'll notice these yeah. sort of small moments of the public art which I mean they blend so nicely into it I think one of the real strengths about the art in this one is that it's not doesn't feel like it's kind of stuck on either it's Absolutely. like it's beautifully integrated into it. and
1: and Jonathan really wanted it to be something that every time you came here you would explore and find a new piece of art it wasn't about having this is the public art and here's here's a, a signage board to explain the public art. It was about you interpreting it yourself or the stories being told through different individuals mm-hmm. rather than there being a QR code stuck to a wall. So that's the thought that went behind this and the individual architects and, and aspect with the landscape, there was so much thought, care and purpose behind the detail. Building B, the one we're sitting in now, has... Every apartment has a light and dark space, the light, and it's all built around wellness. The dark spaces being where there's intimacy and recovery, the dark rooms where you sleep well, and then the light areas where it's all about growing plants and and having the natural light and experiencing that.
0: I think it's also quite special that it actually happened, yes. As well, yes. I think that's one of the big risks of in development where you you have these amazing ideas, but there's always the risk that it just gets cut, death by a thousand cuts, to the point where you just you lose that the detail and the thought. And that this this development actually kept that.
1: It did majority of the time. There was a few decisions that were made up the chain which I didn't agree with, and I felt like those little things actually became quite big pain points for the purchasers. For example, every every project goes through a cost engineering or value engineering process and there was one line item for a DAS system to be in the basement, which would allow you to have reception on your phone. And I tried to fight black and blue for this DAS system not to be taken out because in my mind, the purchasers that were moving here, they're the sorts of people that are making business phone calls and deals as they're driving in their cars. And the fact that they now pretty much have to drive, continue to drive around the city because as soon as you hit B1, you would completely lose reception. But it had a larger knock-on effect because it actually meant there was inefficiencies in the construction process. Because we didn't have a DAS system, when you went down to the basement, you lost all reception, meaning that you couldn't actually communicate properly with the people that you need to communicate. So there was those limitations, but then obviously when the residents moved in and realised that there was no reception down in the basement, I don't think that that went down too well. So they had to, from what I understand, retrofit a system. So it actually cost us more financially, but I think it also potentially can cost you as from a brand and reputational point of view when you make those sorts of decisions cutting things out it's really making sure you're thinking with the customer in mind in any aspects whether it's development or business do you have any other memorable projects that come to mind all the projects i've worked on at mervac which was green square and 71 quarry street were all memorable one that i worked with was in Ride when i was at uniting and Adrian and I were trying to bring this, this model from the Netherlands called the Humanitas model. And essentially what that is, is it's an aged care model where you build an aged care uh, within a unit block, but you've got normal residential, you've got aged care, and it's all built a, a, on top of like a shopping centre. So the idea is that when people are in there, they're part of the community. And so when you move into this retirement or palliative care or... Age care facility, you get to interact with the everyday life. You're not segregated. And this model for me was just, it made so much sense because, you know, it built community and it helped people age in a healthy way, um, that they were still part and considered part of the community so that they would be able to go and do their own shopping downstairs. They'd be able to see families, hear kids crying. They were able to go to the gym and, you know, they'd only be, you know, obviously probably doing like, light weights, but they were, you know, probably doing light weights next to someone who was lifting 150 yeah. kilos, you know, and so there was more to to that model that was really exciting. Unfortunately, it didn't get up but just to have the opportunity to push the envelope and bring something to Australia that I think is should be the, the way forward for for the um, aged care for age industry.
0: Care. You, you've touched on a couple of people who have been really great leaders to yourself, especially we talk about maybe what they've taught you and how they've impacted on your development yeah, this moving is, forward
1: this is an interesting question because there's so many people there's people who directly have impacted me there's people who have indirectly impacted me and then there's people that i've just observed so you know i've got people like Fabrizio pirelli obviously who you know was the reason i'm in sydney he's definitely been someone who has been an amazing soundboard and has been incredibly generous with advice not necessarily always the advice I wanted to hear, but was always honest and always gave me gave me time. And that's been invaluable. And a friendship has obviously come from that as well. Adrian Keanu from Uniting, I don't have a huge amount of contact with. We catch up probably once a year, but just being able to observe his, his leadership style, being able to be under that leadership style, being able to see how he was quite selfless and really led from behind to build his team was, something that stuck with me. There's people like John Kenny, who's the CEO of, I believe it's Australasia Colliers now, previously just Australia, but I was lucky to be in a mentoring program with him. And he was just not only generous with his time, but he was generous with his network. And he really taught me how to build a network. He taught me about self brand and and the importance of building a brand for yourself. And those sorts of things are, are really, for me were really valuable because at the point of time, it was what I needed to hear in order to build a career. I feel very lucky now from, from that perspective of building a brand, but also building a network that I now walk away from development, starting a new venture, but able to still have really quality relationships that I can rely on and, and pick the phone up because there's trust, there's credibility, there's, there's actually relationships that have been established rather than a what can you do for me? Mentality. There's people like, you know, at Mervac, I look at Leanne Boyle, who was my boss with 71 Macquarie Street. She She's had incredible work ethic and she was always just really honest with her feedback and she just taught me certain things. She taught me how to, in the development space, how to have critical thin- thinking, how to strategize, how to think two steps ahead. There was people like Adrian Keckin, who's highly regarded in and, and Mervac, who was someone that, essentially you just observed from afar and just was well organized and true to his word and had high integrity quite a funny story actually that Leanne Boyle who was my manager at Mervac left she went to work at Lease and uh, that's when I got tapped on the shoulder by this other company to go and uh, deliver York and George and that day that I Received the offer from there, I, I resigned. But the day I resigned actually was the first day that I was working under Adrian Kecken. So it was, <laughs> he couldn't believe it. He's like, what have I done? You've only been here for two hours under my leadership. Uh, we still laugh about that.
0: Just wondering, at this point in time you've in your journey through AMP Capital, what is the segue into your performance coaching journey and you decided to sort of wrap up in construction and development? You know, how did that sort of unfold? I look at Loftus Lane as a
1: project that was almost like a project of two halves. The first half of the project was a lot of collaboration. I worked really closely with the SDM, Mark Grant at that point, um, and also the, the design manager for QQS, uh, Eve Clark, who was absolutely amazing. And there was, like I said, a lot of collaboration. There was a lot of people that are, were involved that were all very aligned with the vision of the project, were aligned with our values, were aligned with how we went about doing the work. And we had everyone just was leaning in into the project. When we hit the delivery phase, there was an internal change in reporting lines. That for me really just became a a time in the project where I didn't enjoy it as much. Decisions were being made without the input of the development team on the project. We certainly weren't aligned as a project. I think that was a a pivotal moment for the project. And a, a lot of people felt that, internally and externally, but unfortunately that's that was that's just part of the game. At that point, I was actually ch- considering changing to work on another development or go somewhere else. So I was interviewing. What kept me there was the project. I was very emotionally tied to it. I was emotionally tied to the project. people that was on the project, the purchases, I really really wanted to see it through. So that's why I stayed and then there was this moment when my manager, uh, I had a new manager for 6 months uh, who came across from Mervac. his name was Dan Crawford absolutely amazing and talented human and I got a call over Easter in 2018 that he had passed away that was really really hard to to go through it's something that was difficult to reconcile because it was someone that I enjoyed working with I had a friendship with but just on the Thursday before the Easter weekend we had lunch and we were just talking about all the great things we were gonna do. We were talking about who was gonna do what. We were talking about all different elements of the project and how excited we were to both deliver this together. And then on Sunday to to receive that news was just, yeah, it was really difficult to reconcile. At that point, it was just me on the project then. So I basically worked for three months, seven days a week. You know, my Sundays were all about processing invoices and reading fee proposals and responding to emails that I didn't have time to do during the week. Lots of parts of my life started to fall apart, you know, because I put the project first, you know, sleep. I spent less time with my friends, spent less time in the gym, spent spent less time doing things that made me who I am. It was at that point that I decided to get a coach myself. The reason I wanted to get a coach was I just felt stuck. There were, I, I continued to actually see the counsellor that I had seen before with my wife to deal with the grief of losing someone. Because that was actually the first person that I had lost very close to me. And I spent more time with him in the office than I did with my wife. It was one of those things that just reconciling that um, was really helpful to see a counsellor. But then there was this huge other part of me where I was already considering leaving the project and leaving the organisation. So I found a coach I actually interviewed about three or four different coaches which is is really important it's you know it's horses for courses all different coaches have different levels of experience different backgrounds and I really think it's important to meet with someone to just to make sure that there's chemistry there and that you're aligned because your coaching is only going to be as successful as that relationship is if you are willing to trust and there's psychological safety there that you're willing to open up. That's a really important thing. So I interviewed about four coaches. I ended up working with one in particular who had an approach to not only performance coaching, but also potential coaching. And so there was an overlap there for me that really made sense because I needed to understand how I maintained myself during this very difficult time. But then I also wanted to explore, well, where was I going? What was I doing?
0: I was about to ask, what were some of the objectives that you wanted to get out of it? It can also be quite an overwhelming sort of...
1: The first thing was is that through my initial conversation, there was an important question that was asked. And that question was, is is life happening to you or is life happening through you? And when I was asked that question, what I realized is that I stepped back to... That day when I moved over to Sydney for work experience, it was just an offer. I moved to the work experience, then it became employment, then I went to construction, then I fell into a job at Mervac. It was all just one thing after another. I never actually stopped, pulled up the handbrake and said, is this actually how I wanna spend my finite time? I just fell into property. This was a really pivotal moment for me to pull up the handbrake and work with someone and explore is what I'm doing is that what I want to continue to do it was um, really powerful It was very challenging I definitely you know had to work through well what are my values what is my purpose where do I want to go what do I want life to look like in five years time and I sort of look back and go well at that point I had 15 years of construction and property experience did I enjoy it? Is that Am I happy with the way I spent my time? Am I happy with the decisions that I made? But I was able to reflect and be challenged with a coach rather than having it in my thoughts or having unconscious
0: thought process. So in working through this process with a coach, where did you land on your purpose and your values? Because this is all, as you're sort of running through this, I'm thinking, it takes an incredible amount of, it's hard. It takes brain power to reflect enough to land on what your values are. You know, how did you work your way through that and what did you end up landing on?
1: I remember because I often uh, would get homework from my coach. And again, that was really up to me. It was up to me whether I was going to lean in. And one of the pieces of homework I had to do was write down what my values are or or write down uh, what I want to be known for. And so you know i was like i want to there's loyalty there's all these different lists of items you know being on time and and when i presented the list to him he literally glazed over and said okay but this is what you want people to think of you what are your actual values what are you going to live by and it wasn't until we started to actually scratch the surface there and talk about it in more depth and and for me it was you know i wanted to get to a point that i was living in a way that i could stop and smell the roses I wanted to always have the ability to look up and get perspective and see the bigger picture. I actually wanted to take risk. I wanted to trust myself. I wanted to believe in myself. And so that those elements are now the guiding principles of how I live my life rather than what do I want other people to perceive me as. It's not about them. It's actually about me. And it wasn't until we actually started working through that process that I can now you know sort of sit here and go, Actually, life is happening through me, not to me. I'm in control. Life is still challenging. You know, I haven't arrived. It's it's a journey, but at least I'm living closer to what is on my terms. And therefore, my decisions, I can tell you if my decisions are aligned or not. Very, very quickly now, uh, it's how I spend my time. How do I spend the resources? What do I invest in? What do I just let go? It's a lot simpler now, but there's a lot more joy and excitement for moving forward into the unknown rather than moving with fear and hesitation.
0: Is that how performance coaching comes
1: into it? Performance coach is really about, it's outcome driven. It's about having an outcome and working towards that in its simplest terms. It's really about having the right tools and the right mental skills to be actually able to achieve that. It's working with someone to unlock those so that we can unlock their performance so that they can actually perform to achieve the outcomes that they want. Where you sort of go and take that, the next step is potential coaching. So you actually look at where someone is now and help them level up and actually take them to a higher mindset or let's put it this way, like how many times have you upgraded your operating system on your iPhone?
0: All the time. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and what happens every time it tells you, okay, upgrading this operating system, we're now going to, you're actually going to get an extra 4% out of your battery life. It doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're on 4% on your battery and that's all that's remaining, normally it would be dead. So there are little tweaks that happen to elevate someone and help them level up. And the difference between those two is performance is about, okay, what is what is the tweaking of your existing tools or what do we need to work on to help you get to the outcome that you want to get to? Whereas potential is about, okay, let's, let's have a look at your limiting beliefs. Let's have a look at how you uh, respond under pressure. Let's have a look at um, really questioning the way you're thinking and the way you're spending your time and realigning that to a purpose. It, it just goes a lot deeper to elevate you to a a higher level of capacity and thinking.
0: I'd like to understand you had a coach to help you consolidate your thoughts and to to make decisions based on what you thought were the best outcomes for your for your life at this point in time. With that in mind, what did you have to like as in you left development and or you wrapped up your time in development and mm-hmm. construction? So what did you have to do to to commence your your journey into coaching. into coaching? Yeah.
1: yeah. Gosh, I guess that the benefit that I experienced from coaching, I kind of looked at it in a way that everyone should have a coach. Why wouldn't you? I felt like I was almost cheating, to be honest. I was like, this is making my life so much more easier. I'm a better version of myself and I'm growing, I'm developing and I'm able to have a greater capacity and I'm enjoying life more. Like who who doesn't want that? We quickly realized through the work that development is not necessarily where I wanted to be there was elements of development i really enjoyed which we've spoken about but probably the thing that i enjoyed most about the development was the people i spent a lot of time in that that role just asking questions about people. You know, how are you going? Like, not just let's start the meeting. It was actually about the, the well-being of the people in my team or the consultant team. I, I really cared about people. Another strength of mine was the stakeholder management. You know, I was able to resolve problems with counsel rather than being aggressive or, you know, writing emails. I would actually pick the phone up and have a conversation and I was actually able to unlock some pretty key elements of the project through the relationships I was able to build. And I think that links to the level of empathy that I have and that sort of the EQ. For me, I quickly realised that it's about people. That's what I get excited about. And seeing people thrive, Mm. I actually really enjoy the idea of someone being successful. I really enjoy the idea of someone enjoying their life and living the way they want to live. I get really sad when I hear people talking about, oh, I have to have six coffees a day to get through today or they, they almost plan out their holidays a year in advance because it's a coping mechanism. So for me personally, I knew that coaching was an area that I wanted to explore. So I just did a lot of reading about it. I met up with other coaches. I explored the industry and more and more, and the more people I spoke to around me that knew me well, validated that this is, this is an area that I would excel And I also had this internal idea that, yeah, this is something that I actually really want to pursue. And it sort of gave me this new lease on life. It gave me passion. And internally, I got the opportunity to be a coach at AMP. So they had a coaching team there essentially for for onboarding and to, to try and build the culture of the company. And that was through facilitation, but there was a coaching program that was attached to that. I just, I loved it. It was something that I hadn't really a buzz that I hadn't experienced before and actually seeing people, you know, lean in and and get something out of it. I was like, yeah, this is what I want to pursue. I started the journey where I went and in, um, enrolled into a master's of psychology coaching at Sydney uni. And I started that in January, 2020, actually. Um, we had four weeks in the classroom, and then COVID hit, and the rest of the time that was, that was online. Um, but so I, I managed to work full time while I studied full time. And if I was to do a masters in property or a masters or, or in finance or something again, I don't think I would have been able to do the two simultaneously. Yeah. But I had a very clear vision, had a very clear purpose that I wanted to move into coaching. So. I really was able to to lean into that and, and, and do both of those at the same time.
0: This is the end of the first part of the episode. Coming up will be the second part where we discuss Marty's move from development into performance coaching. We also discuss my upcoming coaching sessions with Marty and the process that we'll be going through together. See you soon.